Hello. Hello. Welcome to Nothing to Fear, a weekly horror movie podcast. Every week on the show, we watch a different horror movie, and we talk all about it and rate it and have a great fun time. My name is Billy Schultz. I watch the movies on my couch, and I'm excited to be here talking to y'all. We are working our way through some vampire flicks at the moment, and that's very exciting. Um, And uh, at the time of recording, we are officially one week out of the I'll say it. The wedding of the century to a friend and guest on the common guest on the show, Luke Mason. Your sister is getting married next week. That's why we're not recording next week. But uh, how the hell are you doing, sir? (laughs) That'd be a good uh, slogan for me. Hey, common guest. Common guest. (laughs) (laughs) Exceptional guest. You're an exceptional Mm. guest. (laughs) Common sense, common guest. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. It's a... feels like a calm before the storm type of weekend so Mm -hmm, i'm mm -hmm. enjoying that i suppose playing a lot of guitar so very nice yeah excellent i hope you get to to chill and if you're listening to this and you're thinking hmm this sounds like the they repeated an introduction it's because we're doing the same introduction for two episodes in a row so i can focus on studying for finals but uh but yeah you could also just record like a 30 second thing that says we're not doing an introduction this week (laughs) Mm. Could I could do that? I'll just put that in. Okay. I'll just say, "Here's a quote from me," and then I'll put that exact audio in. <laughs> See who's really paying attention. See who's really paying attention. But anyway, thanks for being here, Luke. It's always great to have you and to 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 talk about movies with you. I really enjoy it. You we bet. also have on the line calling in, longtime caller, first time listener. Oh, okay. Um, I'm a little tired, but that's my fault. What'd you do? Stayed up a little late last night finishing up Milf Manor. Um, but what can you do? <laughs> That's a TV show. <laughs> yes. Milf Manor okay. <laughs> is a television show, yeah. And was it uh, was it good? No, it was ass. Uh, it's like the definition of shit TV, but, you yeah. know, once again, that's my fault. <laughs> you know what? Shit TV serves a, a vital purpose in just like, this is something that I can turn my brain off and, I don't know, passively enjoy. So no judgments here for movie and TV preferences. No, no. There's there should be judgment. Speak for yourself, Billy. <laughs> yeah. All right. Whoever well, whoever well. made that show like <laughs> You know, as much as I enjoyed it actually. They deserve to be like drawn and quartered. <laughs> what a what a wild dichotomy of things to hold in your mind, but I'm glad you're here. This whole I'm podcast glad... is judging film. <laughs> All we I do was... is judge. <laughs> no, no, no. No, don't say that. I care who knows it. <laughs> Fair. All right. Yeah, redacted, 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 redacted. Yeah, of course. <laughs> no, you're right. That's I was, As soon as I said it, I was like, wait a minute. That's the literally the entire shtick of this show is re- judging movies. With, I will add, no, uh, no validity or expertise behind this. That's right. Aside from mm-hmm. volume. Yeah. I would humbly submit what's objectionable in judgment is unreflected judgment. That's fair. Uh, reactive or just totally like inflexible judgment. Sure. Actually, that's called prejudice or bias. 
judgment is a different psychological category because you actually think sure. about it, right? That's right. And we do think about it. Um, yeah, I'm also here. I'm doing well. It's uh, <laughs> end of the semester. Oh, my God. It's so stressful. I just did my taxes today, too, before the deadline. So that was fun. And nice. um, well done. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to CRA. I'm glad you, uh, you know, you fill out the little tax form. I use TurboTax and they're all like, hey, we noticed uh, you did this. What if you like, you know, and there's a review section. They're always like, review this thing. Put you, you put this in line 150. You should have put it in like 107 or something. Do you, uh, do, you do, do your just taxes do by hand? I just do it on, on, on TurboTax into it, like the, the software. Is that the one you have to pay for? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Has there been any? Oh, what is there a free one? Yeah, there's absolutely a free one. There's a free one that is like kick ass. You should use that one. Okay, well we'll talk off air. It's it's (laughs) called Simple Tax. Simple Tax. Yeah, it's uh, brought to you by um... the the people that um, Well Simple. That's ah okay. Mm -hmm. Simple Tax, not sponsored, but uh, hey, give us a Luke. You have a question. Let's interrupt you a few more times. Has there been any? Canadian government department that's been in the news more over the last three years than the CRA. Holy, <laughs> like just, if you ever thought, if you, if you were ever, if you're like the last person left that thinks that massive sprawling by bureaucracies get shit done. Holy, <laughs> this, yeah, this department yeah. has just, it's ugh. wild. It's wild. I, I claimed the COVID benefit when I got laid off back at the start of the pandemic and they're like great here you go here's your code stuff then the next tax year they're like anyway we need that money back so can you give us that money back and then i was like what the fuck you so i had to pay like two thousand dollars on my tax like for something and then this year i got a letter being like so listen you paid us back if you would like to claim that again you can do it this year (laughs) and so i'm like what fucking make up your minds (laughs) and they get hacked yeah it's just, yeah. oh it's wild. God. It's wild. I just, they just, they know, they know what they're looking for. Like, why don't you just like do it? Like, don't make me guess my taxes. <laughs> There's a, some biologist, I can't remember who, who's got this kind of classic line about the 21st century, which is like, what is the problem set? Mm-hmm. And the problem set is that we have paleo, paleolithic minds, medieval institutions, and godlike technology. Yes, <laughs> and I don't think I a first among equals. The CRA is an example of a medieval institution. <laughs> we are truly in the darkest timeline. But a small spot of light is that my semester is ending, and I have also been uh, delighted and privileged to finally have seen the sixth installment of the Scream franchise, which uh, I wrote a little spoiler-free mm. review on the Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Nothing to Fear, to read that. Um, and delighted huh it was i enjoyed it it was the way i'm sure wes craven intended tuesday afternoon in a, th- a theater by myself that's that's what i Perfect. think that's the one way you would want to no, watch it and so you only get killed um, in those movies if you're in a theater full of people yeah exactly i was safe, I was totally safe. <laughs> no i thought it was pretty fun i thought there was yeah there's some stuff with it moving farther and farther afield from like where it started but it was clever enough. It took me forever to recognize that Dermot Mulroney, who was in this movie, was uh, the dad from Conjuring 3. And I was like, where uh, do Insidious I know this 3. fucking guy? Insidious, oh, Insidious 3. 3. Yeah. My apologies. Insidious 3. It's okay. It's, a, I was like, it's a convoluted universe. 
yeah i was like who's this fucking actor and i finally i finally it clicked for me so um but yeah i think it was it was fun and i'm sure they're gonna make a screen seven because this one's just breaking all the box office records for the franchise and so seven cream coming 2025 Mm. probably probably yeah you can check out our patreon I got my headphone cord tangled around my office chair, so that's going to bother me for the next hour and a half. Anyway. Nothing to be done about about that. No, I can't do it. Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to change it. Good at podcasting. Okay. So it was my pick for Vampire Month this week, and I picked Joel Schumacher's 1987 classic vampire movie, The Lost Boys, and... I had only heard about this movie by reputation, but I had never seen it before. And it feels like it was a real treat to finally watch this one. This movie to me felt like, how did they know how to make an 80s nostalgia movie in the 80s? (laughs) And so I can't wait to talk about it. I, I very much enjoyed this watch. And so I guess we'll get into it. But Luke, how was your viewing experience of this movie? I heard that you may have seen this with... Friend of the show, friend in real life, Danica. Is that true? Uh, no. Oh, well, then she just <laughs> watched you... it on her own. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I just watched this for the first time. And I was like, oh, I assume she watched it with you. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Let's see. I, I'd heard of it before. I know that I had, but I'd never seen it. So I didn't know it was a vampire movie until you picked this it month. for this month. And then I was like, yeah, it's probably a movie about vampires. <laughs> and it was. <laughs> So well, looky here, it's a movie about <laughs> vampires. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't even, I didn't even know the kind of who's who of '80s stars that was in it. Really, I don't know. It's just a movie that I'd probably heard of at some point, but mm-hmm. so yeah, it was, it was a one I do have not even thought of before. Yeah, do you have any familiarity with Joel Schumacher as a filmmaker before this, or? Well, I definitely. I mean, you watch this movie and you get some. Of his Batman vibes, that's for sure. Yes. <laughs> but also, he did a movie I really liked from maybe 2002 or 2003 called Phone Booth with Colin Farrell. Did he do Phone Booth? He did Phone yeah, Booth? Yeah, he did Phone Booth. You liked and, that movie? Uh, I did, yeah. I thought oh, that okay. movie was tense. I thought Colin Farrell did a, a good, played a good obnoxious asshole. And it was just, I'm just, <laughs> I only bring it up because the guy on the phone was Kiefer Sutherland. So it's just fun. Oh, okay, okay. It's fun to kind of see where directors and actors meet earlier in their careers that help them collaborate on maybe more famous or movies more of my era from later on so ah there you go Mm -hmm. so sounds like you've got some good thoughts to share and we'll get into those uh, i'm sure in due course but alex Wan, how did you enjoy this viewing of the lost boys it was fine yeah (laughs) it was fine did you know about this film before yeah, watching it? Yeah, I knew it was like a very teen heartthrob vampire thing before Twilight was a thing, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was like the Twilight of the 80s. <laughs> That's pretty much it, That what I knew about it. Hmm. Well, I think we should uh, we should get into it. Uh, one gripe before we, we play the trailer, um, I will say that I had to listen to this trailer, the start of this trailer, about 50 different times because when I rented this movie off of YouTube, instead of playing the movie I rented, it would just play the trailer and then ask me to rent the movie again. So I heard hmm. that like, thou shalt not kill song like 50 times and it's 
it hasn't left my head since I watched it. So <laughs> did you try muting really excited it? To hear it again. I did not think to mute it while I was figuring it out, but uh, it would have been nice to have that train of thought available to me. I just didn't come up. Maybe next time. Maybe next Alas. time I have technical issues. Issues. But anyway, yeah. Here's the trailer for The Lost Boys. Uh, oh, before we do that, does the dog die.com? Spoiler alert. No, the dogs do not die in this movie, for which we are eminently grateful. There is not too much to be afraid of in this movie. A lot of blood, a lot of corny blood, corn syrupy blood even, and some minor jump scares. If you're real scared of vampires, then there's vampires in this movie, but there's not too much to worry about. This one is high camp. The highest camp movie I think we may have done in the podcast history. So, here's the trailer. You'll never grow old, Michael. And you'll never die. Be one of us. Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? It's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. <laughs> You know where Hudson's Bluff is? I can't beat your bike. You just have to try and keep up. How far are you willing to go, Michael? Guess first. How are those maggots? <laughs> Drink some of this, Michael. Don't. It's blood. My go, my go, my go, my go. Now you know what we are. Now you know what you are. Help me! Stay back! Stay back! Help me! My little brother, a vampire. You wait till mom finds out, buddy. The Lost Boys is a 1987 American supernatural black comedy horror film directed by Joel Schumacher, produced by Harvey Bernhard with a screenplay written by Jeffrey Bohm and other people. There's a lot of names here. Okay. A lot Uh, of people work on movies. (laughs) Janice, okay, fine. Written by Jeffrey Bohm, Janice Fisher, and James (laughs) Jeremias from a story by Fisher and Jeremias. Okay, there you go, Janice and James. The film's ensemble cast includes Corey Haim, Jason Patrick, Kiefer Sutherland, Jamie Gertz, Corey Feldman, Diane Wiest, Edward Herman, Billy Worth, Brooke McCarter, Alex Winter, Jameson Newlander, and Barnard Hughes. A stacked cast. Yes. (laughs) After moving to a new town, two brothers discovered that the area is a haven for vampires. (laughs) Yep. Yep. That's the synopsis. So the Lost Boys, I uh, like I said at the top, I only knew this movie through reputation and other vampire properties kind of riffing and spoofing on it. Specifically, I know that the scene in What We Do in the Shadows, the movie, there's a scene where the vampires bring some humans around to eat some spaghetti and one of the vampires makes it look like worms and 
that's a reference to the rice eating scene in uh, this movie where they make it look like maggots and then worms and it's all oh, oh it's so gross but this movie was so campy so 80s so just like the platonic ideal of sex symbols in the 80s with like the hair and the clothes and the earrings the earrings and just like this movie is extremely queer coded these vampires are all in love with one another there's like talk about family and tribes and found family and stuff and this movie was visually a treat to look at it was so campy there was characters whose actions are not what i would call normal reactions to vampires being real but the movie does not care about that it simply (laughs) is like guess what (laughs) we're gonna do this it was nice to see Corey feldman kind of growing up a little bit from his like goonies stage and even his character choices for um, the frog brothers alex i think alex and edgar frog just i thought that was very funny Corey haim Rest in peace. Very funny. This movie was so bonkers, and I can't wait to talk more about it and more about the time that this movie was made specifically in 1987. So, 1980, 1987's The Lost Boys. Luke, what did you think? First thoughts, best thoughts, what you got? I guess, honestly, I'm a little bit ambivalent about this movie. There's some parts I liked a lot. I mean, I, I enjoyed the 80s of it all, and again... I actually also had the thought of this isn't a movie trying to be the 80s. This just is the 80s. And it's it, it, it you could um, forgive it for or you could forgive yourself for imagining it was a movie trying to be the 80s. Yeah. Because of how over the top all of the clothing and hairstyles and music. Oh, my God. The saxophone oh God, scene. The that guy. I was just like, <laughs> holy fuck. This is what I would write if I was imagining an 80s scene. <laughs> yeah. So that was all like kind of fun and delicious. And I thought the first half of this movie was actually pretty good. It was well, it was like not good, but it was enjoyable. Like it captured my interest. But the second half, it lost its mojo for me quite a bit okay. to the point where the last 20 minutes again, I was more looking at my phone than the movie, which happens sometimes in this podcast, I, I must confess. But, you know, I enjoyed the who's who of young 80s actors you know i'd never seen a movie with a this young jason patrick so that was kind of funny Mm -hmm. (laughs) what else remind me what else he's been in because that name rings a bell he's been in lots of movies that i can i think um the one that comes to mind the most is narc he was in he was one of the co-leads in that film from like the early 2000s but also he i don't know he's just a character actor he's been in lots of movies okay but the truth is this is not a very good movie no (laughs) and it's not the plot is silly it's campy and it's fun and it but it's you know, when I think about 80s campy movies, to me, the height, the, the best campy movie of all time is Back to the Future. And <laughs> yeah. this movie isn't even close to how good that movie is. And so I'm like left a little bit. It, it always comes back to why do they ever try to explain why there are vampires? Why do they ever try to explain <laughs> why there are ghosts? It's like, again, they've instantiated this universe where those things don't exist. Mm-hmm. But they do, right? Like, everyone thinks they don't, like reality, like our world. But they do exist. And so there's this this partition between reality and the fictional universe that the movie just doesn't care. I, I don't know. I'd prefer it more if... I would prefer it more if the vampires were known to exist in the world and there just happened to be some in this town, right? Right. 
as opposed to that dissonance between nobody thinks they exist, but they really do. And we're going to try and like the way that the Frog Brothers approached it. I wanted everyone to be like that. <laughs> it's like <laughs> basically it's just a war, you know, it's like it's us versus them. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. whenever you get it's like, oh, maybe he's a vampire. It's like, OK, yeah, go tell that to your mom. That'll work. Try that. <laughs> try that excuse. She I don't know. It, it just always kind of builds what I would call false tension in a film. Okay. And and so that happened a few times again in this movie where I'm like, I'm turned off by that kind of motif in film. But I mean, it was fun, especially the first half I, I enjoyed quite a bit, just more because I was like, oh, my God, we haven't. <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland is just the best <laughs> 80s bully. <laughs> oh, my God. No and I enjoyed kidding. the practical effects they used towards the end to show the vampires. I thought that oh, was yeah. cool. The prosthetics were cool. Yeah. But I mean, this movie wasn't scary and it wasn't tense and it wasn't, it was just kind of funny and stupid. Yeah. Very silly. I like that the vampires didn't have the fangs on their canines, but it was on their, their bicuspids. It was like mm-hmm. a tooth closer to the center than mm-hmm. feels like, like saber tooths which... more than vampires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But yeah, Alex Wan. Mm-hmm. What did you think about The Lost Boys? Well, this was definitely one of the movies. I think <laughs> I'm definitely probably in the minority of the world. Not, I don't necessarily dislike, but I just don't care at all for 80s campy movies. Okay. So like, you know, Back to the Future, very beloved. I think it's fine. I don't really care about it. It doesn't hold that much to me in nostalgia and feelings and whatnot. So yeah, like I, I just don't really care for that genre of movie and that era of movie so Mm -hmm. watching this i'm like okay i know why people like this or i can see why people like this and i don't necessarily dislike it but i'm gonna watch this once and never think about it again because it's just not what i enjoy and it was exactly all the things about like an 80s movie you know yep the hair the music the way people (laughs) talk to each other the poorly written dialogue, the overacting, so much overacting, the child stars, stuff like that. Like, I don't care. Right. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think I, I know where you're coming from. It is very much like if somebody is talking about the good old days too much, you kind of are like, well, what else is like, look at what else is going around now. And I'm sure like it wasn't all glitz and glamour in the 80s for sure. And I think this movie for me actually snuck in a clever dare i say message about like the the tensions in the late 80s and the uh the sort of rise especially in america and much of the western world as well where the traditional family unit was eroding away and how that frightened certain parts of the the people like this is again the 80s is when when ronald reagan is being elected to presidency we see this rise of right-wing conservative christian family values sort of come back the moral up. majority like, yes the moral majority yeah this is this is coming up this is like oh america's like being corrupted and if you're not in a heterosexual married arrangement with two kids then look what happens to these teens and we see this so much in the late 80s where there's just like inexplicable abandoned warehouses that are havens for kids to congregate and get up to mischief and the the movie starts with diane weiss character she's had a divorce she's moved her boys from arizona into this small town in california to live with her dad so like the family unit is 
fallen apart and who's more ripe for being preyed upon by those uh you know loose moral people than newly divorced people and impressionable kids and so like that whole thesis is running throughout this movie which i was not expecting but then it also was just like gratuitous 1980s wish fulfillment like how many times have you heard people sort of talking in a way where it's like if you don't know about pop culture then you're not like yeah then you're not really cool or you're not in the the club and like Corey Haim being able to like rattle off titles of superman and comic books and like get in with the frog brothers where it's like oh this guy knows his shit he's cool he can hang with us like it's total teenage boy wish fulfillment <laughs> from the 80s and i just I was like, oh, man, I can see how this movie has shaped a ton of people who would have been that age in the 80s. And I thought that was mm-hmm. surprisingly an interesting depth that this movie held, which I was not expecting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Good conversation. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's definitely some of that. It, it would. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really strike us as particularly transgressive to have a divorcee <laughs> in a <laughs> film today but i suppose it would have been in 1987 or at least a little bit more not the most common thing you would talk about in a film but i mean i guess i don't know i don't know how i know that the moral majority was definitely a cultural movement in the united states at that time but uh Mm -hmm. like any ideologically driven movement all you're going to do is create great art in the backlash against it. <laughs> so we have like the 90s. The 90s are one of the greatest decades ever for art. So mm-hmm. especially music. So I think we have to thank Ronald Reagan for that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and for nothing else. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like Christopher Hitchens once said, the, the, the number one way to inculcate atheism into your society is to make religious education compulsory. <laughs> right. right, right, right. <laughs> so... I mean, yeah. I don't know how much the 1980s was like it's portrayed in the films. It's hard to know because the music and the movies are so over the top. Mm-hmm. I just can't imagine life was over the top like that. Like it's just it'd be too it'd be too exhausting mm-hmm. to live like the 80s seems like it was. <laughs> <laughs> you know? If if the, if the 80s was like it was in the movies, there's like gangs in every downtown core all the time. There's Honestly, people who are punks. I was half there. expecting the Ninja Turtles to show up in this movie. <laughs> like, That's this what... movie had such Ninja Turtles vibes. Yeah, it gave me huge vibes of that. Just the, the lair where these vampires hung out. It reminded me of like the Foot Clan. Again, and that movie, all the kids in the Foot Clan in the original Ninja Turtles movie, like all the Foot Clan members are teenagers and like lost... Mm-hmm lost boys as well because you know oh there's no no parental controls there's no after school programs which well I, and it's I a bit of like, the title of the film's a bit tongue-in-cheek too because you know the lost boys never grow up and vampires never mm-hmm. die and mm, it's funny yeah, you I, say that because uh the title is a reference to the lost boys in jm barry's stories about peter pan and neverland <laughs> who like vampires never grow up i oh it is an analogy what do you know and oh how about that you know like the kind of stage of what would it be like perpetual adolescence was Mm -hmm. maybe a new thing like that's kind of the breakfast club right like the breakfast club is one of the first movies not not the first but maybe the best at like shining a light on this new kind of generation of people that hadn't really existed in human history that of adolescence Mm -hmm. where throughout most of human history if you're 
by the time you're 14, you're one of the adults. <laughs> like that's just there isn't that in between yeah. stage between childhood and adulthood because mm-hmm. there's just too much shit to do, you know. Yeah, got to work the farm. This is you just grow up. So that now the the Lost Boys generation is a new thing. So isn't there well, a Lost Generation? Well, I think that was um yeah. So in like between one of the wars, I think that was like the World War One generation because mm. so many of them died. Yeah, hence being lost. Yeah, I thought uh, they just grew up in Neverland and never grew up. No, but this no, movie, no. like, yeah, the the kind of ethereal themes are interesting, but this movie doesn't really do a good job of like fleshing them out. <laughs> you know, it's no, just, it kind of just becomes a creature feature. Well, and that's like I think like what happened when I was watching this movie is because what's happening on the screen is so light and fluffy and like nothing, you know, at the end of the movie, it's basically home alone versus vampires. Mm-hmm. So what I'm doing while the movie is happening, like my brain is running in the background and I'm just thinking like, Oh, that's what made me think about the time period. There, there's a lot. I feel like film students could write tons and tons of papers about the lost boys and get very good marks on them. If they do just mm-hmm. like a little bit of like work and history. And, and so, you know, but yeah, there's nothing in the movie. It's like that is what you have to go looking for it because what they're telling you is just like, okay, you're here. Vampires exist. No one believes us. Uh, and so it's just the kids. It's just the kids. We we can't rely on our parents. So kids got to do it for themselves, which, again, I think is with society where both parents are working out of the home. Suddenly kids are, yeah. you know, the panic of kids roaming around the streets and not being supervised. What are they getting well, and up these to? Sort of, these would have been probably end of the latchkey kid generation. Maybe not the end, but close to it. You What's know? a latchkey kid? Uh, parents are working. They come home after school and just watch TV by themselves. Mm. That was a big thing for kids in the 70s and probably the early 80s as well. And into the 90s. So, I would argue in the 90s. I was a bit of a latchkey So like kid. Generation X is a latchkey kid type of generation, predominantly. Yeah, where it's like school got out at 3.30, parents didn't get home till 6, there was nowhere for kids to go, so just go home and don't get in trouble. It's one of the reasons given why Gen X is so cynical and ironic. <laughs> it's it's also just... one of the reasons why all of our jobs were invented, you know, as a place for kids mm-hmm. to go between school and parents totally. getting out work. Yeah, like <laughs> our old job, that was literally the the impetus behind creation, uh, creating it was so that boys weren't running around breaking street lamps, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> going around infecting other people with their own blood. Yes. Well, to speak of other things going on in the 80s, of course, the late 80s is and early 90s is the height of the AIDS crisis. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it's interesting to see the like concept of these vampires, which you know, before we had seen vampires as this mysterious knowledge seeking, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula and stuff, it's it's like, ooh, that's like mysterious. But now it's like the blood holds the key and holds the transformation and they're like very conscious about you know, he drinks from the wine that is David's blood. And so I was just like, Oh, this thing is rife with, you know, AIDS hmm. metaphor. And it was not subtle at all, I'll say that. <laughs> not not even a little bit. Well, it just reminded me of um, that's the kind of the the theme around the Remus Lupin character, and in, in that yes, he, I know yeah, he's a no. werewolf, not a vampire. The stigma, right? Like he he has to quit at the end because all the parents don't want a werewolf 
even though he's got it under control, you know, like this mm-hmm. kind of thing. And it's not like it's not like anyone else is going to become a werewolf type of thing. So yeah, that's an but, obvious metaphor for that as well. But that happened to teachers who got AIDS and HIV. Exactly. They lost their jobs and mm-hmm. not just teachers, but anybody like any workers. So like and in this movie, the stigma isn't quite as obvious, but it's like sharing. You're, you're becoming one of the tribe in that very kind of categorically different way with these other mm-hmm. people. And I thought it was interesting because Joel Schumacher famously was uh, very out about his sexuality as a gay man passed away in 2020. So he's no longer with us. Mm. But like just he would have been right in the middle of seeing the like people who he knew in his community dying from AIDS all over the place and just sort of seeing the abandonment that happened towards gay men who had contracted AIDS and like how the healthcare system abandoned them, the political system abandoned them. What year did Magic Johnson retire? Was it 90 or 91? Um, so that would have been like after this movie, right? I'm not sure what, what is what happened to Magic Johnson. Okay. Well, Magic Johnson was like, he's like the basketball player that got AIDS yep. and... Oh, I didn't know that. And then retired. So, but like, I think he was like at that point he was yeah, so clearly after this movie where it was pushing like that kind of understanding that AIDS isn't like a gay disease, you do know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that would have happened like after this movie came out and after this era. So Yeah, cuz in the 80s it was very much like, oh, AIDS that's just for gay people. That like mm-hmm. straight people don't get AIDS. And if they do, it's because they were tricked or infected or something. Um yeah. Although hilariously, all the assholes in this movie are the vampires. <laughs> that's true. Well, <laughs> so mixed messaging. It's still just a movie, but also who they're not even the, you know, the, none of them are the head vampire. They think David is the head vampire. That there's a whole plot where Kiefer Sutherland's characters, the leader of this gang, but he's not even the head vampire that you have to kill to turn all the half vampires human, which is like, they just skate past all this lore so fast. It breaks your neck, which is fine. But like Max, who is the, the vampire, even though we get a false trail where they're like, he's not the vampire, you know. Is that so... part of the lore? Like, if you invite the vampire in, all the other things that hurt vampires don't hurt them anymore? See, that was like another kind of lore-based thing where it's like, some things we know about vampires and they are true, and some things we don't know about vampires that aren't true, and mm-hmm. uh, it was very much like uh, in Fright Night, where yeah. like, some of the things was real and some of them weren't, but... Take your I, pick. I, I... Yeah, I think it's like an yeah, it's an extension of the whole. If you have to invite a vampire in, and then it's like, you know, a metaphorical lowering of your guard, so you surrender some of your power by inviting somebody into your house. Like, I can see it, but yeah, it just felt like, well, we need a reason for Max to pass all the vampire tests the first time, so you're not suspicious of him. Even though, looking back, it's like, oh yeah, but like it's holy good. water it's does work, bad. but garlic doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> but then when you mix the two together, because there is holy it's water in it, it works anyway. <laughs> holy garlic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we can speak about Max a little bit. I, I really like that dinner scene where the boys are just being the least subtle at all, uh, trying to figure out that this is this guy's a vampire. And I like how Diane Weiss takes it as like, you just don't want me to have a new boyfriend. <laughs> uh, you know, oh, watch out for the possible stepdad in the life. And so you prank him a little bit, but I thought that was some of the best comedy where he just like eats all the Parmesan cheese. They're like, oh, take this. It's Parmesan cheese. He's like, oh, I love it. And then it's just raw garlic. Like you wouldn't be able to smell that. What are you doing? (laughs) I can smell raw garlic. (laughs) Yeah. 
They're like, what's wrong? You don't like garlic? He's like, no, I like it. It's just way too much garlic. <laughs> and then, of course, he knows that they're on to him, but he still plays it so stupidly and like lazily. I don't know. Yeah, he well, had it coming. that's hubris. He did have it coming. Although I don't think anybody, himself included, could have predicted how he goes out. Because mm. why would you think that a guy would drive through a fence and then through a wall and have a fence post impale you into a fireplace? Just doesn't come up. <laughs> well, he obviously hadn't seen the movie. So he didn't know that there was this kind of extraneous character always around doing nothing who would be important to the plot later. You're talking about Grandpa? <laughs> yeah. Like, there's no reason, really. I mean, you could have written him in as being like, oh, Grandpa has a house here. He's left it to us. He didn't need to be in the movie. He didn't do anything. until well, the he did. He was very like, well, important. He killed, the, he killed Max at the end. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's why he was in the movie. And so if Max had seen the movie, he would have known to watch out for that. It's true. He would have watched out for that. I really liked the character of Grandpa, even though he was extraneous. Just like this kooky, old, weird, reclusive man who loves his uh, taxidermied animals and his root beer and snack cakes. And also, by the way, at the end of the movie, knew all along that vampires were rife in Santa Carla and just doesn't care. He just the last line of the movie is, you know what I hate about living in Santa Carla? All the fucking vampires. Mm-hmm. Cue music. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that must be annoying. I was waiting for uh, Horatio Kane to put on his sunglasses at that point. <laughs> yeah. So you you thought Grandpa was extraneous. Alex, did you like Grandpa? He was fine. I liked that he kept going. Like his, his primary goal in the movie was to smash the widow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know. He's that character that you have in 80s movies, right? Uh, elaborate. <laughs> I mean, he he was this movie's Doc Brown. Oh, sure. Okay. Where it's just like a kooky old stranger man. Yeah. That plays an important role. Yeah. I liked his character choices. One of my favorite bits is when they come back from the vampire den and they're absolutely covered in blood. They have Michael, who is passed out and looks like he's on a drug trip they have two other people they have star and laddie and all he cares about is the rule about if you take the car without asking you have to fill it up with gas i just i was just like grandpa knows what his moral code is and anything mm-hmm. that is outside of it he's like i couldn't fucking care less <laughs> it's like good for you grandpa <laughs> or how he um he doesn't need a tv because he gets the tv guide and that tells you what's on so you don't need to watch the shows <laughs> It feels. I just feel like he's trolling. He's just trolling his grandsons. Absolutely. Like the scenes where he's just like dropping off taxidermied animals while um, what's his name Sam is sleeping, and it's just like every day, every morning he wakes up and there's a new fucking taxidermied animal staring right at him. <laughs> that didn't pay off at all. I thought that was going to be like sit in the truck and just don't go anywhere. No, I just doesn't go anywhere. Just wanted to try it. <laughs> just wanted to try it. <laughs> I mean, the antlers paid off, kind of, right? The antlers did pay off, yeah. Well, I'm saying, like, this is Chekhov's grandpa. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They're like, we need a reason for this house to be full of weird shit. Ah, Mm -hmm. grandpa's weird. Done and dusted. Done and dusted. What do you like about the 80s, Billy? What do I like about the 80s? Yeah. Um, Enlightening. I think it's just, like, such a cultural artifact of society and it, the way it's been nostalgified in the last 50 years is really fascinating to me because it's where so many of the 
movies and TV shows and ideas that still have, I don't know, sway today were born. Like Indiana Jones started in the 80s, Adventure. Obviously, Star Wars is started in the 70s, but extended into the 80s a little bit. I just, I don't know. I think it's, I don't really know. Maybe just because pop culture only talks about the 80s, but it just made me happy to see just like how wild people could get with mm. fashion, with, uh, you know, hairstyles. It's a very androgynous time. Like you're starting to see these like gender lines starting to blur, like with the long teased hair on guys and Diane Weist, of course, she's got this like short power 80s lady haircut where it's like oh these traditional gender roles that have been around for so long are starting to break apart which i'm all for like you know me i break apart all the the gender stereotypes all day long every day i'm here for that and i don't know i just think it was maybe it was a time after the people who had survived world war ii got back and they had a, a generation of kids who grew up in the 60s and 70s and then by the time they were having their own kids like it felt like a time where anything was possible and you could afford a house probably in the 80s <laughs> like i can't afford a house are you kidding me mm. um it just i don't know why it just it just feels like that was a crucial point where a lot of things started tipping and changing and it's fun to go back to a simpler time, even though it, that's that's never been the case. It was never like the good old days never existed, despite what Andy Bernard would have you say. Mm. <laughs> yeah, because like I don't really hold too much weight on eras or I don't really mm -hmm. feel too much nostalgia in my life over a certain period of time. But I know like a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. And it seems like maybe the trend of people's favorite era is the one that they were between the ages of like 12 and 20, right? Mm-hmm. You know and I mean, I was 12 and 20 in the late 90s right? to so, mid 2000s. Yeah. And I hold a great deal of affection for the 90s and for the early 2000s. I mean, that was my high school times and I didn't. I didn't love my high school experience, so I don't like care for that. And but like more so like the mm -hmm. pop culture of that time. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like the I I like. It's funny. I I find myself liking this the nineties music and early two thousands music more now. Sort of when I can like listen to it and it just feels like oh yeah i remember i was younger when this stuff came out and i have an appreciation for it but i i do remember when i was in high school just like not liking any of the music that was coming out not liking much of what was on tv except for the simpsons which had been around since the 80s you know my big movie fave of that time in my life was the lord of the rings trilogy because that was such a fucking groundbreaking cinematic achievement and so I guess I don't really have a great answer. I also haven't, I'm sure I'll have thoughts about this after. In the and, shower uh, later. It's oh, I should have said that. <laughs> yeah, fuck, I should have said that. Or no, usually I get these thoughts when I'm editing. Like I'll be editing the episode and then I'll be like, oh, I should have said this. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not going to set up my microphone and like insert something like I have profound thoughts as they happen to me. Because like the way I see it is like, I think nostalgia is probably one of the most powerful things in this world that kind of supersedes like objective kind of ranking or thinking 
Um, mm-hmm. I think like it's really easy for people to care about something that that they're nostalgic for and like rate things highly because of that nostalgia when maybe the reality mm-hmm. is something isn't really wasn't that good to begin with but it's it's more so oh yeah you know it's just i think oh, it's, i'm it's always nervous to go back to things i liked yeah i'm always right. a little nervous to watch a, a old movie that i loved as a kid because i'm like ah, it's probably not that good <laughs> yeah exactly right so it's like yeah. as a, for me it's like as a kid i'm like i fucking love dunkaroos and then i have nostalgia for dunkaroos but then like when I really think about it, and I like, I don't even remember the last time I had Dunkaroos, but the last time I had Dunkaroos, I was like, this shit is way too sweet. It's not that good. It's not right? great. It's, it's just They're so bad. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's like just seeing, it's interesting to kind of like look at how people view something like 80s nostalgia with, you know, mm-hmm. hair and, and music and, and campiness and kind of get them to explain why they like something and mm-hmm. why they like it. A lot of it is all feeling, which is t- totally fair, but I th- I think it's hard to like kind of explain to someone who might have been born like 10 years ago. It's like, this is why this was so great. And, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, our parents had that when they said like, oh, it was so great when I was growing up. Like my mom grew up in the 60s and she would happily, you know, reminisce about her life. And it was just like, I don't really get it like because you weren't alive for that time so Mm -hmm. you don't really have a context for it and i think like like nostalgia is usually based in a time when life was easier for you and it's you know that's usually when you were a kid and you didn't have so many responsibilities and you could watch saturday morning cartoons instead of worrying about having to do laundry or going grocery shopping or paying bills and so it's like uh yeah i remember being happy and content and almost certainly that's not true because our our experiences are always varied with positive and negative instances that happen and we just sort of tend to forget those like you tend to forget the bad events unless they're really really bad or really life-changing in a certain way but you don't remember every time you get a flat tire on your bike or you scrape your knee or you get stuck in traffic but you remember good times more and when you think back to your life you you as a form of self-protection you don't remember all the shit that happened to you but you remember the happy times and the good feelings mm. i remember i remember i also and, think the you know, 80s frankly, oh no you finished your thought oh it was just a joke i said frankly nostalgia was better when i was younger so it's not <laughs> as good as it used to be <laughs> nostalgia ain't what it used to be exactly i think yeah. also the <laughs> 80s have a pull for people because they're like the most irrelevant decade that there's ever been. I think there's something so over the top in all of it is that it was like it, it was so brash, but also so unimportant at the same time. Like it it was the decade mm. of the rise of what I think we can really truly call like modern mindless consumerism. It's it's, it's the best well, of times. It was the worst of times. Coca- right, it's Coca-Cola. It's the shopping mall. It's neon lights. It's Miami Vice. And and sprinkled in, I mean, you got to remember, like you're coming out of two pretty tumultuous decades in American history of the '60s and the '70s between the Vietnam War and in, and like the massive inflation of the late '70s. Like people forget, like in 1979, people were having to line up for blocks and blocks and blocks just to get gas in their car. Like it was a bad economic mm-hmm. situation in the U.S. in the late. I 70s. don't remember that. Sorry. Well, it's a <laughs> fact of history. So. <laughs> This decade that is so opulent now in retrospect and over the top and excess like this you guys mm. like this is the decade of Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses and yeah hair metal all of the new wave 
one hit wonders that are so much fun and so unimportant. <laughs> like like mm. the the music of the night of the eighties is so charmed for people because it's totally just sugar. There's nothing to it, right? Which I would also argue why yeah. 90s music had so much substance is because it was a backlash against that. Like mm-hmm. the 90s is Gen X's answer to the baby boomers 80s, you know? And yeah. so I think that's and then and then the rise of technology in filmmaking. Like this was this was obviously Jaws was in the 70s, but the 80s is the mm-hmm. decade of Spielberg and of George oh, yeah. Lucas and of these kind of unbelievably slick movies that never existed before. Like, mm-hmm. You know, the, the, those those nostalgic films from the 80s are, they, they feel dated or, or, you know, E.T.'s a little bit funny looking now because of the tech that we have, but there's nothing like that when those movies came out and they were mind-blowing mm-hmm. to the culture when they happened. So they're capturing that kind of wave of the new, the new wave, if you will, of, oh, mm-hmm. like we've come out of two very 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 turbulent decades in our culture let's like figure out how to have some fun for yeah a while you know and, and like the 80s is irrelevant because it's just so f- hedonistic fun chasing and, and 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 people like that feeling yeah it was like the the rise of the yuppies and the yeah exactly and you know, on a geopolitical front like that mindless consumerism is actually one of the pillars that brought down the Soviet Union. So there's also that. Like Levi <laughs> Jeans and Pepsi did as much to to crumble the Iron Curtain as anything geo like political plan Reagan had, you know? Yeah. Like people the with the rise of tech and being able to understand what's going on in the world more, people behind the Iron Curtain were like, Well, I want sweet <laughs> shit. I want jeans. Yeah. I want I want Nikes. Right? Like human beings not just in America, share those appetites. Yes, it was Jenko jeans and shopping malls and the dissolution of totalitarian governments. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hooray! <laughs> but it's like... One Air Jordan at a time. <laughs> well, yeah, and it was it was absolutely not as rose-colored as we're making it. There was hardships all over the damn place and inequities mm-hmm. and stuff, but this movie doesn't trade on that. And I, I think another thing, to get back to the Lost Boys that only really stuck out to me right now is that this movie, despite being in the eighties, didn't use that sort of like casually homophobic or ableist language that you would see a lot of times in this movie It's like, nobody was throwing our words around on the screen. Nobody dropped the, the F slur. And I feel like that would have been something that was not poo pooed and not frowned upon in that time. And when you go and when you go back to watch a movie from the eighties and someone is just casually using language like that, you're just like, oh right. Like we used to talk like that and now we don't, and that's better. And I just noticed that it was lacking from this movie. Well, even a movie from the year before, which is one of my favorite movies ever, Stand By Me, definitely has yeah. some of that type of language. Now that's a movie set in the fifties, but it was made in the eighties, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's the Corey Feldman as well. But it's like, yeah, they, I can't, yep. I, I was like, uh, last time I saw it, I was like, oh yeah, I, I guess I kind of forgot the the type of language that's in these movies mm-hmm. from the 80s. And, and, and like, not even, not even the campy stupid ones. Like Stand By Me is arguably the best coming of age movie ever. And even, even that, even a movie that good would still fall prey to that kind of pitfall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of Corey Feldman, if we may, for a moment, I choose to believe that this was his choice for the character but his voice in this movie that was so like deep and so falsely deep it felt like he hit puberty but then was like really leaning into it really threw me for a second 
Ironically, Macho. <laughs> Ironically, Macho. Like the last time we saw him for this podcast was Friday the 13th, part four. You know, he was in there. He was a little kid. Of course, I know him from the Goonies where he's much younger there. And this time he's he's a bit more. He's more of a teenager. But then I was watching it with through the lens of, oh, this kid was raised in a video store. So his parents were action movie stars and of course he sounds like sylvester stallone in rambo like he just sounds like he's doing a stallone impersonation the whole time and he's just like oh we gotta talk about vampires over here i was just like oh man this boy is raised in this comic book shop and no wonder this is what he's like so i i I don't know i didn't do any research to see if that was the choice but i choose to believe that he was just idolizing stallone and copying him because of his look, you know, he's got the war paint, he's got the bandana, he's got the shaggy mullet. It's just like, oh, this boy has watched Rambo more times than he's had hot meals. Like, mm. certainly more than he's had dates. <laughs> <laughs> certainly more than he's had dates. And and you know, like that whole the whole comic book essence of this, like the, the shop, it, it it was just like, oh yeah, okay, The Simpsons definitely lifted some of this movie for a comic book guy. Hey. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And that was like, that was a time when knowing so much about comic books could get you in with certain circles. And I think a lot of people still kind of hold on to that. It's changing now. There's a lot of comic book shops that aren't like this. But the stereotype for such a long time was like, if you don't know every fucking little thing about this comic book, if before you step into the shop, then get the fuck out of here. Don't get even waste my time. Here, yeah. yeah. You have to know the whole book before you've read it. You have to know the whole book. It's like uh, John Cusack's character in High Fidelity, where people like come into the record store, and if they don't ask for like the cool music, he's just like mean and abusive to them. And it's like mm-hmm. that's not the that's not a, a welcoming environment to your place mm-hmm. of business. That like yeah, you don't want to sell out, but people are willing to spend money. Don't be a dick to them. <laughs> Amen. Yes, I was just agreeing. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you said, hey, man, like you were starting a line from the movie. And no, then it was just no, I said, I said, amen. <laughs> oh, amen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I guess we should talk a little bit about the vampires. Kiefer Sutherland, Alex Winter, two other people who are vampires. What did we think about Kiefer's performance as this vampire leader, David? What a no. bad boy, right? <laughs> He's so bad. <laughs> He's so bad. But that was it, right? <laughs> it, was, it was a bad boy. Who happened to be a vampire. He was like a slightly more charismatic, but also the exact same character as Ace from Stand By Me. He was just Mm. a testosterone-y, angry bully. (laughs) Testosterone is a good pasta. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He was such a, he was like, if the word peer pressure came to life. Because he just like sits there and he's like, hey, Michael, come with us. Come on come with us and michael's just like okay it's like he doesn't he is he he coerces him in no other ways maybe there's like vampire mind magic going on but he coerces them in no other way than just to be like hey come on drive your motorcycle drink this all right do it again jump off the bridge you'll feel good yeah jump off with us you'll be fine (laughs) god that bridge scene was so stupid because he just falls through the the fog and then he just wakes up in his bed and that's all we get it's like oh my god it's more false tension more false tension yeah but think of the dry ice budget absolutely through the roof <laughs> do you think they use a smoke machine did those, those exist those existed back then they right? must have had smoke oh, machines i'm they pretty sure they got invented machines. then yeah 
for this movie. Speaking of budget, I didn't say this at the top, but the budget was eight and a half million and it made 32.2 million. So that's pretty good guns. And I thought his, uh, David's look was very uh, inspiring for Spike from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like this Billy Idol kind of blonde peroxide vampire who's like too cool for you. But I think James Marsters does a better job <laughs> than Kiefer Sutherland. Mm-hmm. And in one scene when he had his like vampire prosthetic makeup on and the light was really on his face, I could see how much he resembled Donald Sutherland, which was like, <laughs> oh yeah, they are related. Yeah. And then Alex Winter, who is Bill in Bill and Ted's, or is he Ted? He's whoever Keanu Reeves is not from Bill and Ted's mm-hmm. movies. I hadn't seen him in anything but the Bill and Ted thing, so it was nice to see him show up. He had the Wasn't worst... he in a, a movie that we watched recently? Was he? No, wait. Are, are you thinking of... No, I don't know. Maybe. Here, you keep, keep talking. I'll look it up. Okay, you keep looking up. I was just going to say, I thought his mullet was the worst one of the bunch. On it point. was like an afro. It was an afro with just like the longest <laughs> crimped clip-on extensions down his back. And I was like, oh. Yeah, like that was the point where I was like, oh, maybe... Maybe the 80s weren't so great because this was a hairstyle that was allowed to exist. <laughs> he just got back from filling in for Twisted Sister or something. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> Twisted yeah. Sister. Yeah, he yeah. was in a movie we watched recently. What was he in? Uh, Lost Boys. <laughs> Alex. Good. Good one. Thanks. Good Are song. you our grandpa? <laughs> yeah. Are you the grandpa of the podcast? <laughs> Yeah, I'm off to go smash that widow. Smash the widow Johnson. Don't forget to bring her a taxidermy dog. Like that's yeah, Yeah, she'll love that. Well, that's that's what that's what gets them going. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, hey, I brought you a dead animal. A reminder of death really gets widows going. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. That's what they need. Uh, Alicor singing the uh, La Cucaracha horn because why wouldn't his car have a novelty horn that plays La Cucaracha? It wasn't even, it was like car in the loosest form possible. It was like half, like, army tank. Yeah. Like, or army transport vehicle, half, like, Ford Model T. Yep. It was bonkers. It was like, like everything else in this house was just absolutely bonkers, including, and I can't end, I can't end the episode before I mention the uh, absolutely stunningly gorgeous poster of Rob Lowe that Corey Haim has in his bedroom, which mm-hmm. if you think, that this kid is, I guess you you assume that he's going to be a straight boy. Is like, why does he have this real sexy poster of Rob Lowe? <laughs> I don't think that uh, Sam is straight all the way. I think he's bi or gay. But uh, that was man, the uh, working title for the film, The Lost Buys. The Lost Buys. Yeah, <laughs> every vampire is bisexual. Like I just, I think, like you, until you convince me otherwise, every vamp- vampire is canonically bi. And yeah, I, we were just watching the movie. and It was like. Okay, I can see this being a sexual awakening for people watching this movie. Or or Rob Lowe in the 80s was a sexual awakening for so many people. Well, I mean, I think all of these things are pretty straightforwardly the case, given, as you say, the director was gay. So That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I'm, I don't find men attractive, generally speaking. But that Rob Lowe, he's, he's an exception. He's a handsome mm. fucking man. And I posted that picture onto the Instagram stories for nothing to fear. And I got a, I got a couple comments being like, yeah, when I watched this movie, I was like, oh, 
Hello. <laughs> Hello, Roblo. I don't know. I don't know what that was from. If it was from a movie that Roblo was doing or just like from a magazine shoot, but I think we should bring crop tops back for men. I'll say it. I think we need more of that energy in our lives. And I don't care who knows. <laughs> I think hey, you'd want men to know. Men, wear crop tops more. Go on. There you go. It's getting warm again. It's getting hot. Crop tops. Trust me. <laughs> Sounds good. Luke, you first. <laughs> Hey, if any fans want to send us in a crop top, I'll wear one. (laughs) You heard him. (laughs) And that's a a verbal contract. Okay, so let's go into some final thoughts about the Lost Boys. I think I've said pretty much everything I wanted to, except for the fact that the Home Alone scene at the end, where they just like trap the house with weapons. That was also very fun. Death by Stereo, again. Something that I would expect somebody writing a movie today about the 80s to say. But uh, one of the vampires gets crossbowed into a stereo and then explodes. So I I don't know. I can't wait to rate this movie and see what you all give it. But Luke, what uh, what are you giving it? Are we rating it? No, I'm not rating oh. it. Uh, final thoughts. Oh. <laughs> um, I'm so think... hot. This room is so hot. <laughs> all the interesting parts of this movie are kind of auxiliary to it because the plot and the acting everything within the film within the universe is fine but pretty forgettable but the mm-hmm. stuff around it's fun and again i just it's too bad the the movie the first act i think was pretty they were setting up some good pieces but then they were just like and eh, we're going to turn all of this potentially interesting intrigue into a puree of 80s action fight a puree of Hades action fight. Absolutely. All right. Final thoughts for you, Alex Wan. Well, I think for this movie, I've talked a lot more of the idea and the nostalgia of the movie more than the actual movie itself, mm-hmm. which I I think and ended up being a really interesting conversation and kind of thought experiment. But yeah, this was like, for, for, for me, I like the idea behind this movie more than the actual movie itself mm-hmm. and the substance. <laughs> Which I think is is fine. I didn't necessarily think this was a bad movie or terrible movie. It was just rather forgettable, and it has its place with people that enjoy this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Very, yeah, I, like I said, this movie is so passive on the surface that my brain was just able to put together ideas and dig deeper in history and stuff to think about it while it was happening simultaneously. I was on the Wikipedia page of my mind while this movie was playing, where where Luke was on his actual phone. So yeah, okay, well then, I think we should rate it and get on out of here before too much longer. But I think the only thing I can possibly rate it out of is glorious 80s mullets. Mm. So for me, this was fun. It was silly. It was popcorn movie. And yeah, even though I don't really have, I didn't really have a good reason for why I was nostalgic and I was not of the age where I would be cognizant of the 80s. I was two when this movie came out, but there's something about the 80s that just looks really sugary and sweet and bright, and that hits all the right spots on the brain to uh, make it release the feel-good hormone. So I'm going to give this one a 3.75 glorious 80s mullets. Yep, business up front, party in the back all day long. Luke Mason, before you have to go to the bathroom, what are you giving this? (laughs) I actually don't have to go too bad today. I ah, still okay. will. I still will. <laughs> um, Wait, before we finish or uh, after we finish? I'm going right now. Okay. <laughs> Bring us with you. 
<laughs> Let's go. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't dislike this movie by any stretch of the imagination. It was, yeah, popcorn, Hollywood-type film. It reminded me of a lot of other movies of the era. Mm-hmm. But it just didn't grip me either, and it fell prey to all the other movies that do this where it's like oh mom he's a vampire no he's not quit fucking around (laughs) i'm at work stop bothering me (laughs) right yeah like yeah movie writers i don't know there's got to be a word for that level of laziness in their writing and to be fair maybe it wasn't lazy in the 80s maybe it was but maybe it hadn't been overdone too much yet but yeah but no i i enjoyed a lot of it and the music was great so i'm gonna give it you know 2.6 out of five mullets from the 80s solid 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 alex Wan. Mm-hmm. yeah this movie was very fine I, I i really didn't have anything constructively critical about it i think it was all just taste space and preference and there were parts of this movie i did laugh at so it, it was a it was a fine time that will be very forgettable to me in the very not so distant future um so i'm gonna give it 2.5 80s mullets out of five nice yes that that reminded me of a part that made me laugh which i thought the scene of them filling up the canteens with holy water in the middle of what looked like to be a baptism was yeah. very funny that was very That's funny me. yeah just like completely silent uh and i think that takes takes a lot <laughs> was just like, although you have to imagine here. it's the it's the i'm imagining no no i'm just yeah, you oh. have to imagine that this happens all the time at that church if there's all these vampires in town. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. The priest is just like, oh, these guys are back. Okay. Right. <laughs> okay, well then, time to... Oh, we didn't do a scariest part of the movie. I forgot there about was that. No there wasn't really anything. No. There's nothing scary. <laughs> That's <this> because <laughs> I mean, it didn't occur to you to think that. <laughs> yeah, it's a horror movie with nothing scary in it. I mean, maybe the, the scene where they're eating all the, like, Get the punks at the campfire but not really that's like it's just like oh yeah they're vampires they're gonna feast so there's nothing in the way of jump scares in this movie so okay so then something to cheer something to cheer this movie's coming out towards the end of april which uh, i believe yeah third weekend of april third monday of april anyway and uh so i'm gonna cheer the dungeons and dragons movie that i saw at a time of recording yesterday a great fun time and once again, if you haven't checked it out yet, patreon.com slash nothing to fear for the review. But it was a fun movie and I enjoyed watching it the whole time. Nice. Luke Mason, what are you cheering? And is it trivia based? That's my guess. No, no, not this time. <gasps> Although it was fun. It went really well on Thursday. Oh, good. The Simpsons category was well received. Yes. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Now, my cheer this week is much simpler. Is that, I guess... I can post hoc say it's because the new movie's coming out, but that wasn't the reason at all. I learn I have learned how to play the Super Mario theme song on guitar. <laughs> nice. That's right. So, you were working on it on a couple yeah. cheers back, and so you've cracked it. It's hard. It's it's a hard I mean it just I it's not my natural guitar playing to like play a melody. So <laughs> mm, right. <laughs> Took a lot of work. But it's good. I like it. Good job. It's always good learning a skill. Uh, all right, Alex Wan, what are you cheering? I'm cheering a movie I saw uh, last Monday. I went to see John Wick 4, John Wick Burns Faster. <laughs> yeah, it was so fucking fun. It's good? I would probably rank it as the second best one in the franchise. Is it 1423? Yes, the- it's 1423, yeah. 
yeah. which I, I feel is pretty universal. That's what a lot of people are saying. Yeah, but it was it was a lot of fun. It was great. I've always really enjoyed John Wick and the franchise. And it did a lot of like, surprisingly, it did new things, right? Like that was like, whoa, like I wouldn't have expected this. And they were really fucking cool. And I just love kind of the backstory and the lore of that universe. It's just like, yeah, it's a given. (laughs) There's many, many assassins in the world and they transact using their assassin coins. They use their assassin coins. Who are they assassinating? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There must Um, be no world leaders left. They're all (laughs) killed. That's yeah, it. but yeah, it was a real good fun time, and I didn't even complain that it was two and a half hours long. Oh, dang! That's a that's a real mark of a, a film. Wow, yeah. film. Yeah, the D and D movie is two hours and fourteen movie. Uh, two hours and fourteen <laughs> minutes long, and it only feels a tiny bit too long, which is which was mm. a testament to it. Mm. But also, regarding John Wick Four, rest in peace, Lance Reddick. Mm. We lost you too soon, buddy. So yeah, John Wick Four. Yeah. Is it Chapter Four or just John Wick Four? Maybe Chapter Four. I don't know. I don't know. It's the it's, new John Wick movie. The newest Jonathan Wick movie. Um, all right. Well, <laughs> that's, that's his full name. Jonathan Wick. Yeah. That's uh, actually that's... Isn't it, it's like some Belarusian thing. It's like a jo- J- John Javogo, John Javovich or something like that. I don't remember. Yeah, it was sure. revealed. In, Sounds right. I think the third one. Sounds good. Yeah. All right, then that's going to do us for another week here at Nothing to Fear. You should tune back in next week as we wrap up vampire movie month luke's favorite month of the mm-hmm. podcast to date i'm sure you love vampire well and movies extra so much. lucky that i get two picks in it you get two bites at the neck for this month so what are you picking <laughs> for the last go well this has actually been not as bad of a month of movies as i thought it was going to be okay I th- and it, and honestly, I think that's because From Dusk Till Dawn did a lot of heavy lifting for us this month. <laughs> but hey, Cronus was weird and fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I just but but I will say of the three movies we've done so far, none of them even approached scary. So I thought no. I'd try to pick one that might with might be scary or at least okay. a more conventional type of horror film. So when I looked up vampire movies, there were only two that I was even mildly interested in. So here's the other one I'm mildly interested in. So next week we're going to watch, I think it's from 2007, but it might be 2009, mm-hmm. 30 Days of Night, starring ah. Josh Hartnett. <laughs> Is it night with a K or night with an N? No. N? no, it's like an Alaska town is dark for 30 days and... So it's in the synopsis, so it's like, and it's attacked by a horde of vampires. <laughs> so mm. Yep. <laughs> Okay. No word of a lie. If one of you had picked Lost Boys, I was going to pick 30 Days of Night. So I'm glad we're doing it. And I can't wait to watch it and talk about it all about it all that time. I know how to end the podcast. So I'm going to say goodbye, Luke. Say goodbye goodbye to the lovely listeners. Goodbye, lovely listeners. Alex, you as well. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, folks, they're just movies. There's nothing to fear. Thank you for listening to Nothing to Veer. Leave a rating and a review wherever you got this podcast. Every little rating helps us move up in the charts and helps more people find us and makes us feel good and lets us know we're doing a good job. You can also follow the show on social media. We have an Instagram. It is Nothing to Fear podcast on Instagram. We're also on Mastodon. Go to at ntfpod at horrorhub.club to check out what we're doing on there. If you would like to support the show financially, you can head over to patreon.com slash nothing to fear to give a little bit to the show and help us keep renting movies, getting equipment, and just generally making the show. 
We really appreciate everyone who gives. Once you've listened to our show, you can also check out what Luke is up to. He does two other podcasts called Really True Fiction and Liberal Soul. And he also co-hosts a radio show called Full Spectrum Cinema on Kootenai Co-op Radio. Check out those discussions on movies. They're a good fun time. Alex can be found at Juan Song and Day on Instagram, where he puts a new song up every day. And there's an ever-growing Spotify playlist for you to check out. Once again, we love you so much. Thank you forever, forever, ever, and see you next time. <laughs>